Hello and welcome to the Life of the School podcast. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I am a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. In this podcast, I plan to sit down and have conversations with fellow life science teachers from around the country. Uh, Over the past 20 years as I've been a teacher, I've had the great fortune through a variety of different ways, whether it was at conferences or, you know, at various workshops, professional development opportunities, or even within my own school to talk to amazing biology teachers. And every time I have these conversations with them, I I get so inspired. I hear about their background, what they did before they became a teacher and what they're doing with their students now and the things that they're trying to work on to, to become better at what they do. And as I, as I hear these conversations and I get excited, I wanted to ultimately share uh, that excitement and energy that I, I keep getting from these conversations. And so that inspired this podcast. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to sit down with my colleague, fellow Acton Boxborough biology teacher, Brian Dempsey, for my first show. So Brian is the current Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers president. He is a teacher here, as I said, at Acton Boxborough Regional High School. And during his 20-year teaching career, Brian has spent several of his summers conducting research at local universities, including examination of phylogenetic relationships of local fungi at Clark University, Wolbachia infection of mosquitoes in a partnership with Marine Biological Lab down at Woods Hole, and receptors used by Leishmania parasites at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. In 2006, Brian was named the Outstanding Biology Teacher of Massachusetts. In 2009, he received the Amgen Award for Science Teaching Excellence, and he has successfully written grants uh, totaling in excess of $20,000, which we've used to buy biotechnology equipment here at the high school. He's also authored papers in the American Biology Teacher and the Science Teacher. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, so um, let's just get started. I want to hear a little bit about you know, how did you end up becoming a biology teacher? Yeah. Well, when I was an undergraduate at UMass Amherst, um, I was actually interested in primatology uh, and spent a couple years working with a rhesus macaque uh, colony that we had there. And uh, toward the end of my uh, in my senior year, I was also uh, a teaching assistant for anatomy and physiology. And doing both of those things at the same time, my interest started to be pulled more toward the t- teaching end of things. I had my own uh, g- class of about 25 um, undergraduates, even though I was still in college myself. And I just found that that to, to be more fun and uh, interesting. And the research part of it, I, I still enjoy you know, today, but I wanted to um, f- focus my interest more broadly and uh, share that with students. And I, I felt like working um, doing the research just individually was not as satisfying for me. So did you, you went to UMass Amherst yeah. and then um, did you transition right from UMass into the high school setting, or did you have any bridges in between the two? Right. So um, after uh, I went to uh, UMass Amherst, I went to work at the Museum of Science for a couple of years, um, and I was I did the lightning show, um, a snake show. I also worked in what was then the Sun Lab, which is now the butterfly um, exhibit, um, and uh, then I went to go get my master's degree at Boston University. And then in 1996, uh, 20 years ago, I came to Acton Boxborough. 
Nice. So you were in the the big lightning uh, thing at the Museum of Science. So anybody who's been at the Museum of Science knows that a guy <laughs> stands in a in a big cage and has it uh, struck by lightning. I'm sure that. Uh, yes, I did have one mishap once. I did have my <laughs> finger slightly through the bar, and I did get a little jolt once. <laughs> I'm sure it was more than a little jolt, but <laughs> I survived. Yes. Uh, so uh, when I think of you as a teacher and somebody who's collaborated before, you know, I, I frequently make the joke, you know, if we sort of were left to our own devices, you know, your classroom, you know, the way you teach, you do 75% of the year would be about evolution and then you'd cram everything else in and the other 25%. You know, I'd be guilty in my own ways of, of doing some molecular stuff. But, you know, what really are the things that, that you get most excited about teaching throughout the year? Right. Well, as a kid, I was one of those dinosaur, little nerdy kids, um, which I think partly led to my interest in biology. So I think that's kind of an emotional point where I kind of launch from. But um, to me, evolution, and I think a lot of biology teachers would feel the same way, really integrates into so many different fields within biology, whether it be molecular or ecology and so forth. Um, and so, in fact, I'm teaching a class this summer. It's an elective. It's called... Um, uh, molecular and evolutionary biology. And so one of the things we're going to do to starting off right away is we're going to um, look at kids' mitochondrial DNA. So I'm, I'm going to try that lab out for the first time. Uh, I know Amgen has a, a series of labs that they put out with high school, uh, and one of our um, colleagues, Jake Barnett, is going to be uh, working on that. So I'm hoping to kind of pick his brain and get some resources to do that with the students this summer. Um, so, and I think in terms of skills, I think that um, evolution really hits a lot upon a lot of those skills that we, we try to emphasize with students. So whether it be, you know, in the case of mitochondrial DNA, um, the molecular skills, um, we might be doing some bioinformatics, um, cladistics and tree reading, things like that. Yeah, it also hits on, I, I think that one of the best things about uh, evolution is it, you have two components. Uh, one, it does give you an opportunity that there's a really well-established uh, field of misconceptions. Um, and so it allows you to do some of that deconstructing, you know, the misconceptions and building up the ideas um, of what really is in true, you know, truly the scientific foundations, but also the nature of science. Um, you know, it's great to talk about Darwin, but then also talk about, you know, where he was wrong about certain things, you know, his idea of gradualism and how he had certain things he had firm foundation on. But just because Darwin said something, it did not make it, you know, dogma. It did not make it right. canon and that the nature of science is to change and be reevaluated as new evidence comes about. So I, I agree, you know, as we look at all of the different fields, there's opportunities to look at the, you know, the tentative nature of science, even when the greats of biology put forth their ideas, there's still a scrutiny and a tentative nature that comes with exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And and and, ta and identifying those misconceptions, I think, is a key part of teaching, whether it be evolution or other, other topics. And, and evolution just lends itself particularly well because I think students come in with, with some baggage that they might not otherwise come in with other topics. Yeah, so when you... Um you know, when you sit down and you're planning things out, you know, you we all have our, our sort of tools we like to go to. Um, are there any, you know, favorite strategies you like to use in the classroom? Um, you know, either old school strategies or something maybe more technical that you've been playing with? Uh, old school, um, I, I feel like microscopy is, is still very useful for students to do. Um, assessing that can be a challenge. Um, here at AB, we do a, a lab practical, but I know, Aaron, you're, you're involved in that as well. Um, and some, some other things that, um, that are a little bit more technical that we've been doing recently is, um, is uh, PCR. 
uh, we actually, um, actually Aaron was involved in this <laughs> as well, where we had students go out and collect insects uh, to potentially look for a type of um, bacteria called Wolbachia. And so the students were outside with nets and you know, spent maybe about 45 minutes outside. And we put the insects into alcohol. And then the next day they did a DNA extraction where we were able to uh, successfully um, get um, DNA after uh, we amplified it. And, uh, and then once we did that, we were able to then run a gel. And we actually found that our, our insects that we collected did in fact have Wolbachia, several of them actually. And we ran a control just to be sure that we were getting, um, sometimes when students don't get Wolbachia, it's possible that's because they didn't do the extraction correct or some other step may have, uh, didn't occur correctly. So we also looked for um, a type of um, DNA in the mitochondria of the insects. And so we were able to get sort of a double band in that approach. So using both sort of traditional and newer techniques, it's, it's always fun. Uh, biology is a, a changing field and it kind of challenges us as educators to, to keep abreast of that and to kind of play basically with our students. Yeah, and that, I think that also is that highlight of, you know, you really te using the lab to teach a lot of different things. So, you know, it's one thing to stand up and lecture about the importance of control, you know, about design and that sort of thing. It's another thing to do a big investigation like that and then ask the questions, well, you know, what happens if we don't have this control or what's the advantage? Um, yeah, it was it was really good to see. I mean, the the gels were amazing. I mean, I have to drop some pictures of, the, of your classes gels in there. Um, and I actually had one of my classes that was very successful, but for whatever reason, our um, our Wolbachia control didn't come through. Our Wolbachia amplification didn't work. So I had this lovely uh, gel of all of these bands for the insects, showing that the kids did a nice ex uh, you know extraction, and pretty much all the samples, including the uh, the control samples, you know, got those nice bands but we didn't get any Wolbachia bands for the, for the gene within the Wolbachia, which makes me think, well, we just you know, maybe made a pipetting error with our primers or something like that. So it, it opened up a lot of great discussion about the nature of science right. um, that, that hit out there. Uh, so I, you know, I, had the, I had the good fortune in, uh, you know, fairly recently to be asked you know, sort of what my aha moments were in, in, in teaching, you know, things that have changed and shifted the way we approach things. Um, you know, I guess the question is, have you had any or where do you get your aha moments? Like when you start to see things in a different way or things that you've had that caused you to shift your thinking and your approach to teaching? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sort of comes from two angles. I would say it's working with other teachers, especially I enjoy working with teachers that, you know, are think a little bit differently and challenge themselves. Uh, and, and they're always bringing me fresh insights, and I'll give you some examples of that in a moment. And then also working, um, just getting ideas from what my students have to say. Um, this year we gave kids a student survey, and one of the feedback uh, points were, uh, was that I went too slow over some topics. And so to give you an example of you know, talking with colleagues and some ideas, speaking with you, Aaron, here, <laughs> um, Aaron, you've, you've shared an idea called peer instruction with me where uh, you do a survey, and, and one way to do that is, you know, raise kids, you present a question to the students, they answer it by um, maybe A, B, C, or D, and they could show fingers, number one, one finger for A, two fingers for B, and so forth. And you can kind of get an idea where students' ideas are, and, and if most of the students are getting the ideas correctly, maybe move on um, and, and not focus on that topic so much. So we tried doing some of that uh, this year, and um, I think maybe next year we're looking at um, using some 
uh, apps um, that Aaron you found um, that we might be able to, yeah. to try it with our kids. I used uh, I used the Plickers this year um, as a, as a twist with that. So I'll put a I'll put a link in uh, my show notes. But basically the paper Clickers version and and the kids the kids liked it and you know it was, uh, they they definitely picked up. But um, I think sort of thinking of the traditional way, we sort of have always laid out, you know, these are our PowerPoint notes and, and these are the challenge questions we're going to do. And, um, you know, we have a colleague who has asked the question, why do we put the challenge problems at the end? Maybe we should take our challenge problems and put them at the front. And mm -hmm. then maybe if we go through the challenge problems and the majority of the kids are getting the questions right, we don't need to necessarily go through all of the, you know, the quote unquote lecture notes, you know, even though our lecture notes are not as much direct instruction as much as, uh, you know, discussion questions. I do feel that at times we belabor the point of, you know, we ask them to do homework and we ask them to show their work and, you know, write down the, these information and then they come to class and then we tell them the same information that they wrote down. If you use those things like a peer instruction method and you have that opportunity to ask them, do you understand this? And they can show you in that formative way that they understand it. Maybe we are wasting a little bit of time. Maybe we can, that's the, those are the moments where we can, you know, we're just looking at how do we get more hands-on activities? How do we get the time to do more of that? Maybe that's the, maybe that's that answer. How do we get there? Um, right. So you were saying, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, yes. tool, so, tools. Yes, yeah, some other tools. So um, I'm also involved in a, an organization called uh, Outstanding Biology Teacher, um, and it's a national program, and each state has uh, a director. So I'm involved in that. I had a chance to... Um, uh, t to visit a couple outstanding uh, teachers to see what they were doing in their classrooms. And uh, so uh, one teacher I, I got a chance to visit, uh, Don Pinkerton at uh, Revere High School, was doing a, a mitochondrial DNA extraction with his students. And then they were sending that in to get um, a blast sequence. And then ultimately, or they were going to get the DNA, and then they were going to do the blast in the classroom and then analyze to see who was related to who. And I thought that what a great hook that would be as a way of introducing evolution. And so uh, in order, it, it, having the opportunity to meet different teachers through uh, organizations like the Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers and OBTA and so forth, it's given me a great opportunity to kind of um, see the best practices around and, and, and try to incorporate some of that into my own teaching. Yeah, and I, I echo that. It's, it's always funny, you know, I, Brian and I are, almost inseparable in this building. We kind of teach in the same room. We teach the same, uh, you know, same stuff and we're always talking. And then we go out to these conferences. We go out to like the MABT conference and, and it's, or we go to the you know, NABT conference this year. And it's always so funny how like these different worlds, cause we do have different worlds outside, but I personally feel like when we go there, like everybody knows Brian, <laughs> like every, like we go, you know, everybody seems to know him when we go out or when I go out and meet other people, particularly in Massachusetts, everybody knows, knows Brian cause you're always been out there and you've been out there for a long time, uh, connecting with other teachers and there, it's a very different, we run in different circles. So it's, I know at the NABT, it, it was kind of the, you know, <laughs> my circles from all around the country right, were right. coming in and we were running into each other, even though we weren't that far from uh, where we teach. Um, but it's, it is, it, you do get these insights. Um, I think that you can get a little bit trapped in your own bubble right. in the building. And even, you know, we talk about it. I, I was joking with my students uh, just the other day when I was surveying um, our, our juniors after our seniors had left for AP. And I, I asked them, you know, uh, you know, some of the highlights and one of the students was talking about how, you know, we have these discussions after the tests and sometimes we, we agree on their points and we give them points back. And one of the students says, that's really weird. Uh, you know, other teachers don't do that. And I, mm -hmm. I made the point that, like, you know, the only real person I have that checks the tests 
is, is you know is you and so the two of us work together and like really our perspectives are not that different right. you know we we work together for a long time we see things and when the kids read questions sometimes their reading of the question is a misconception but sometimes it's a valid reading of the wording and that you know maybe we haven't provided them with the depth or even they have new insight because of something and they read the question in a different way and um i know that when you go outside the building you get these different perspectives you know we do have the we do have some pretty sharp students as well who give us that challenge but uh it's amazing to get those uh you know that check from outside the building right so that's really great um so um I'm going to ask, you know, you're not teaching. You know, you mentioned when you were a little kid, you were, I know that you always tell the stories about finding various fossils or, you know, f- finding skulls of things or things like that. You're, when you're not in the classroom, you know, where, what do we, what do we find you doing? Uh, well, being out, I'm definitely love being outside. Um, when I get home, my form of relaxation is to just go outside and uh, I enjoy gardening, uh, mostly perennial gardening right now, but I hope to be do some vegetable gardening um, when I can make get a little more sunshine in a particular area I'm going to be working on. But, um, and I think that that love of outdoors, you know, that comes from just sort of a, uh, a childhood uh, experiences of, of growing up in, in, in a wooded area. Um, and I, I try to share some of that with my own students. Um, I actually had a couple girls come in with a, a possum that they'd found, and they asked if they could bring it in and uh, get its skeleton, because we actually have a little program to do that with some beetles called Dermestid Beetles. And uh, so I said, sure, bring it in. We put it in the freezer just to kind of kill off some of the uh, potential parasites that might be uh, kind of nasty. And then after uh, a couple weeks in the freezer, they pulled it out and uh, we let it thaw out. And I suited them up with uh, a little pl- plastic aprons, gloves, masks, um, and even goggles. And they uh, dissected it outside in the woods right near the high school took off its skin, the innards, and uh, then we put it back in the freezer. And now it's uh, in, we have a hood, so it doesn't get real stinky. And the dermestids are busy, busily uh, chewing down on the, uh, the carcass. And the girls are going to come back and collect their skeleton, um, the, the skeleton of the possum, um, in a couple weeks. So that kind of experience is kind of fun for me because we actually, uh, Aaron here and I both went to UMass Amherst where we had a really inspiring teacher uh, Dr. Klingener, uh, that um, would encourage students to collect roadkill, and he w- we would get the skeletons. And so I actually participated in that, and I always thought it'd be fun to do that for students here at AB, and uh, I think it's fun we can do that for them. Yeah, it is one of the creepiest side <laughs> projects. And, you know, when he says doesn't smell that much, I will say <laughs> it depends on the day. Uh, so, But it is in there. I, You know, the other funny thing I was thinking about is like, well, but how do you test that? Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it is really it is really interesting to see, you know, the passions of the kids come out and that sort of thing. And we do actually now have a pretty large cache of these skeletons that you can't you can't actually bring into your classroom and and ask some questions in there. But you never know the hook, you know, the, these kind of hooks are the kind of things that you never know how you're going to inspire a kid down the line to, to go into something, you know, maybe yeah. having, you know, some future forensics, you know, forensic pathologists, you know, that are learning about all of this stuff now and, and down the line, they're going to be excited about this and right. in some other way. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of those kind of exciting kind of moments that you have with kids are not necessarily going to be in the classroom. It's sort of, you know, that kind of relationship that you build with kids. Um, and, you know, this girl I actually had last year and she just emailed me and, you know, I've been working with her um, and, and some of her friends um, just outside of the classroom. And so I think, you know, it doesn't always have to be a classroom situation where you, you have that kind of connection. 
Yeah, you definitely, I mean, mean, we're not alone in this way, but that that bridge or that that line of where does the classroom end and, you know, that line seems to get more and more blurred every year that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just out doing stuff and it all seems to tie together. There isn't less of a separate, you know, less of a wall than it used to be. It used to be, you know, you have your classroom, you teach your classroom and you leave, but you see all these things outside, you know, whether you're gardening or, you know, um, I know myself, I get distracted sometimes on, you know, I'm out trail running and it's like distracting and I'm noticed like there's an apple tree and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, there's an apple tree. I wonder if there's any, you know, morals that are out now. Cause like we just had a heavy rain it, like, like I find myself stopping my watch and getting distracted uh, by, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. you're not actually stopping periodically with yeah. all the things you might be seeing during the, in the woods. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it, it, it is funny. Like every once in a while you get, you know, uh, you do get encounters with nature in some of these places, but, um, your mind starts to sort of wander and drift a little bit and you're, you start putting the pieces together. Um, I think that excitement, it's really easy that you can, it's almost like you accidentally mentioned to students these, these things and they, they get excited about it. Like the student who you don't even have, they had this idea and they're not in your classroom now, but they still thought, Oh, you know who I'll ask. And they came back to you because of that, that connection or excitement for things that you're interested outside of the classroom. Um, so I think for me, one of the things uh, that I notice is that, um, you know, there's sort of an ebb and flow a little bit with your career, but I, I feel like at the end of every year, you know, sometimes the conversation is like, oh God, the school, thank God the school year is over. But I haven't felt that the last few years I've been like, oh, I can't wait till next year starts because like for me, the school year ending is an opportunity to reboot for next year and like looking forward to things that I want to try or, or the opportunities that are coming down. And they may, may not even be something that's one year down the line. It's a, I can see something that's three years from now, four years from now, this is what these are going to look like. Are, are there any things in, in particular that you're really looking forward to in your classroom? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, the, the summers are, are, are a time to kind of uh, get creative and reflect. Um, and it doesn't mean that um, that has to mean going to the beach and totally turning my back on the school. In fact, um, you know, I feel like um, if you're doing something you love, you never work a day in your life. I know that's a corny expression, but it, but there's a lot of truth to that. And so um, in, in the summers, I'm often doing some form of uh, work. Um, the last couple of years, I've actually been teaching a, a research class for students that want to do the science fair. And um, I'm also teaching a, a new offering this summer called, uh, I mentioned earlier, Molecular and Evolutionary Biology. And uh, I'm going to be using some of the things that I, I developed from that latter class um, to to bring into a, a new class I'll be teaching next year called Fundamentals, where, where we're going to start off with that mitochondrial DNA lab I was mentioning earlier. Um, and so I am really looking forward to trying that out with, with these students. Um, these students are uh, in a, sort of a different group that I've taught than I've taught before. Um, some of them have had some struggles academically, um, and I'm hoping that um, doing these kinds of uh, labs where they're actually looking at information from themselves, I think might be a really a, a great way to um, entice them and, and get them kind of curious and, and to kind of move forward. Yes, this group is sort of you know, the, the other end of the spectrum from our you know, AP students who, you know, for the most part, when they come to the high school, they're, they've had a lot of academic success. You know, the AP students are honors students. Um, you know, I work with a, a group of alternative program kids who um, have faced a different set of challenges. Uh, I think uh, that's the best way to say it. Um, but I, it's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I, I know it's going to be a challenge having shared some of that experience, and we've worked together in the alternative program a few years, that it's, it's not always easy to plan 
Um, but it, it can be really exciting when you, when you hook a student who is traditionally not hooked by school, that, that for them school is, or has been at least in the past has been this, you know, really challenging thing. And, and they, it's not a place where they get a lot of wins. So, um, it'll be, it'll be exciting to see how the various things you try and some of them are going to be pretty technical. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see how you can, you know, scaffold all that stuff and see if you can get them hooked and see where that interest is and, and see how you can, um, pull those basic concepts that are ultimately your responsibility to right, teach right. Um, in the context of some of those exciting Right, right. Ideas. We do have standards we have to follow here in Massachusetts with MCAS, um, but I feel like that um, I'm going to be able to, to, to really go into, you know, under, having kids understand what DNA is after, after they've had a chance to look at their own DNA and, and it'll put a context rather than, you know, kind of just dry and me lecturing about it, so... Yeah, and I, I will say personally, I don't know the last time I did a PowerPoint lecture with my alternative program. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it, that that doesn't work. So you do have to, you know, develop and extend some of your bag of tricks. Sure. So I'm I'm excited about it. I, I've definitely done some some more in depth, um, hand, you know, molecular type labs uh, in the alternative setting. They're different groups. The the ones that I work with, the students I work with, and their struggles are definitely different than the fundamentals. So I I'm 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 looking forward to hearing sort of what those points are, because I think that um, the bag of tricks you develop in there are not just going to be good for those students, they're good for all students. Right. Um, that's not to say that, you know, our honors kids get a ton out of our lecture. Uh, they're, they're very good students, <laughs> and they, they uh, you know, sometimes I feel like they humor us through lecture where uh, there are better ways of, of helping sure. them learn. Yeah, there's many tools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's there. So um, I... I Thank you for letting me interview you, but you know I, I now have barraged you with questions. Do you have any questions for me? Um, well, I just feel like you know at AB, we're, I feel like we're really lucky that we have lots of uh, people with their own expertise. And, and uh, Aaron, I'm glad that you, Aaron's passions with molecular biology, of uh, he's worked continuously on, such as that Wolbachia lab I, I mentioned earlier, and uh, not really a question, just just some gratitude. <laughs> So, yeah. Thank you, Brian. I guess it's it probably easier for people who don't work with me every day to ask me questions because <laughs> we just banter all the time. Uh, so uh, at this point, I want to have an opportunity to give my guests a chance to uh, provide a pick, you know, something that they're, you know, that that's hit them recently, you know, a resource or something that's grabbed your attention. Um, you know, I've got my own ideas. Uh, Brian, anything that has grabbed your attention recently? Uh, actually, a book I picked up uh, a couple years back. It's called The Sixth Extinction um, by Elizabeth uh, Cor Corbet. Um, and that class I'll be teaching with evolution this summer, I think, would be a nice kind of framework to having kids think about how evolution really is important in, in their lives in terms of are we you know, causing the sixth extinction right now? And what are the factors that, that are leading to that? Uh, and, of course, that gets into things like climate change and alternative energy and so forth. So... I think there's many ways that we can kind of link some of these bigger topics that we typically teach in biology, such as evolution, to, think, to uh, information that is, you know, very relevant to uh, our lives today. That's, it's one of those, uh, my laundry list of books I should read. Um, I'll put the sixth extinction on my, on my laundry list of books that I, I want to I dive into. Actually, I saw that as part of a group of, uh, of books um, all about extinctions. I, mean, I don't know if she, she uses the term late quaternary extinction. Um, 
that's uh, that's the phrase that jumps to mind when the I see Anthropocene. I Anthropocene, think she, yeah, yeah. Anthropocene is the other term that right. comes along there. Uh, Lake Watner, maybe more from my college days. <laughs> that was the the phrase, the phrasing that they started to use around that time. Yeah. Um, so I'll give my pick. Uh, my pick is uh, another podcast, which is I know it's a very strange uh, way to promote if you're in a podcast. But um, uh, personally, I, I'm a big podcast junkie. Obviously, I'm trying to start my own podcast here. We'll, we'll see how, uh, how successfully this goes. Um, but uh, I, I want to give a shout out to the Horizontal Transfer podcast. So if for whatever reason you are listening to this podcast, um, but you do not listen to the Horizontal Transfer podcast, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm going to put links to both uh, the book Brian referenced and the Horizontal Transfer into my show notes, uh, which I'll post on the website. Um, so uh, Horizontal Transfer is a podcast put out by Paul Anderson, you may know as Bozeman Biology, and David Kna who you will know from the AP bio teacher communities. Uh, if you have not from other places, I know he's presented at many conferences as well. Um, and they basically do a weekly uh, banter about teaching and, uh, and they have a great uh, they have a great rapport with one another and they talk about a lot of ideas in teaching. Uh, they share a lot of the things that they've been successful in. Um, if you are not into podcasts, but you're into science teaching, I recommend checking it out. And if you are into podcasts and science teaching, um, you probably already know about it. But uh, if not, I will put the link so that you can uh, get access to their webpage. Um, uh, I've had uh, the good fortune to, to talk to both of them, both electronically and um, in a conversation online. And, you know, they just do some amazing stuff. And uh, I think both of them are inspirational in different ways, you know, whether it's the, the flipped classroom or whether it's, you know, just the approach to how do you help your students learn um, actively and help them reflect. I think both both of them are excellent practitioners of, of, of quality science teaching. So I, I highly recommend that. So uh, with that, uh, that comes to the end of our first podcast. So uh, I'm hoping this is the first of many. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a pleasure, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I, I appreciate it, Brian. Um, so uh, if you are interested in uh, show notes or any of the links, uh, you can go to lifeoftheschool.org. Um, I will post uh, some brief show notes there along with links to anything that we brought up during the conversation. Um, also links to the music. Uh, music for this was provided by Ex Magicians, a former student of mine, Jake Jenkins. Uh, and they, uh, Jake... <laughs> kindly uh, allowed me to uh, use one of their tunes to, for intro and outro music. Uh, so uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this and I hope uh, everyone enjoys the many episodes to come. I know that uh, I have plans to record with a non-Massachusetts teacher coming up soon. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening and I look forward to talking to you again soon.